You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. We're going to continue the series today called Intentional Faith. I started this a few weeks ago and it's based on Luke chapter 14. And there's a variety of themes inside this segment of scripture that we're using. And so we're going to be working now towards the last portion of that scripture. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand for the reading if you would. We're going to read this again. Luke chapter 20, or 14 verses 25 through 35. Let's read together. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple." Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples." Salt is good, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it is thrown out. Jesus, as we look at the word today, we invite the role of the Holy Spirit to speak to us in our values, our morals, and our priorities. We're not looking for academic information. We're looking for transformative information. And I pray that we can understand, that we can connect the dots with what we hear versus with what we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So if you're new today, we just want to say welcome. I've been preaching through this particular text. If you would like to know what some of those uh, passages mean and how they apply to us, you can go online and you can listen to the sermons there. But today, I'm picking up this segment of Scripture in those, in those last two verses. But as we begin to look at this, what I want you to recognize again is Jesus is, is drawing crowds with what he's saying. And it's not, or, or I should say, more what he's doing. And they're listening to what, they're, what he's saying but they're drawn to really what he's doing. And so it's like Jesus hits a pause button and he wants to say, hey, I just want to let you know with what you're seeing, here's the message that goes with what you see. And he really takes it, I'm going to say, in a direction that I would say probably caused the number of people to pause as they listened to what he had to say. He's going to clarify that, hey, if you want to continue on this journey with me, 
let me describe what those values are and what it's going to take for you to be a follower of me. And I've charted out this scripture to help you to understand the momentum. It's, it's only about 10 or 11 verses, but it's packed with a lot of analogies and illustrations and principles. Jesus starts off, first of all, he's talking about the family. And I know you read that, and again, you can go online and listen. It says there, you know, if you don't hate your father and mother, can I just describe to you that, that your initial take on that is not what it means? Because how many know the Bible says we're to love our enemies? So what, I'm supposed to love my enemies and hate my family? So most of the time, the Greek language has one word, one uh, meaning to it. That's why it's so great that the New Testament was written in the Greek. It eliminates confusion. But there are times when one word has two meanings, and this is one of those. And what he's saying is, he wants you to prefer him, meaning Christ, over your family. In those particular days, when you converted to Christianity and the family didn't, they would oftentimes give that new that person converting to Christianity an ultimatum. If you follow Christ, you're dead to us. You're written out of the family. We won't even mention that you used to belong to this family. You're dead. Now, how many know that's a tough decision when you're a new follower of Christ, right? And what Jesus was saying was this. I actually expect you to make the tough call. Wow, notice how quiet it got in here. Wow, he really expects, yeah. He says, if your family says it's either us or your faith, make a decision. He says, I expect you to choose me. Wow. That puts a lot of things in perspective. Then he talks about carrying the cross. Folks, that wasn't figurative. That was literal. Because people at this particular time were being accused of being rebel rousers because they wouldn't declare Caesar as God and that they had only one true God, and so Christians were finding themselves in the, in the beginning stages of this mass martyrdom. And Jesus said, I not only expect you to die on the cross, I expect you to offer to carry it. Notice the resounding excitement in the room. <laughs> then he gets into what I did last week about building a tower. Now, I didn't have time to get to the other part, which is going to the war, but they're both similar. He's saying basically... I want you to weigh the cost. Jesus is not about sneaking his teachings on you. Like, hey, I accepted Christ. And then you read and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know I was getting in on this. Jesus is really saying, I expect you to actually study me before you accept me. I want you to know what you're stepping into. I want you to know what the priorities are, what the commitments that I will be asking when you decide to become a follower of Christ. Jesus says, I don't want you to learn about it on the backside. I want you to learn it on the front end. Weigh the cost. Do the analysis. Let's think about what you're about to do. Jesus is not about slipping one on you. Then he talks about giving up everything. He is here to reprioritize your life. He is not about, hey, I need to add Jesus into my life. Jesus says, I am not an add-on feature. I'm a reprioritizing feature. I reorganize your life. I change your life. I change your purpose. And then today he uses that illustration of salt. And I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper on this issue of salt. 
So what I want you to see in this is this. With the Roman occupation, it would have been real easy for Christ's teachings to take on a survival mentality. And I'm setting up this analogy of why Jesus used salt as a teaching element. Why did he use that? Well, notice this. He's not taking a reactive position. In fact, what you recognize is this. Jesus is actually teaching that we have a proactive faith, not a reactive faith. Even when there's an occupying army in their land, he's saying, you're not reacting to them. You are going to live a proactive life. Jesus says, we're not retreating. I do not expect you to buy property and put up a bunker and crawl into the hole and wait for a good day to come out. Jesus said, no, I actually expect you to go into society. I expect you to make an impact. And you can't use the Roman occupation as an excuse not to get out there and get involved and make a difference. And so what I want you to see is this. Salt symbolizes a number of things biblically, but also culturally. So let me share with you where I'm going on this message. This title, or this illustration of salt, is also used in the Gospel of Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. How many have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Okay. Luke records this same segment. He just doesn't call it the Sermon on the Mount. He records the same segment of teaching. So Matthew saw that this scripture was appropriate for the Jews. Matthew was written to the Jewish people to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. That's, that's kind of why you have the book as it is and the stories that he recorded that Jesus did. And so Matthew saw the importance of relaying this story for that purpose. Luke, on the other hand, hears the same story and goes, these Gentiles, these Gentiles have no history of faith. They do not understand faith. The only thing they know since they've accepted Christ is what they've recently been told. They don't have a heritage. But he says, these, this salt is a great illustration. And I'm going to tell you why. Because not only is there illustrations within the scriptures about salt, there was a lot of prioritization about salt within Roman culture. So the Gentiles would have been filtering this more through culture than the Bible, because how many know they don't understand the Bible yet? They're learning. So they would have had a lot of understanding. So what I did was I went through the scriptures, and while the scripture may not specifically give a teaching about salt, you'll see how salt was used. And for a Gentile, that would have been something that they would have drawn an analogy to when they heard this teaching. So there's seven different things I'm going to show you what salt was in that particular day. So the first one, everybody read it out loud. Salt, salt symbolized community. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. What I want you to see about the word salt is this. Salt is not referred to as one grain, one granule. It is multiple granules. And so really, when we say that we're, Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, go and be salt, we have to understand that he's speaking to us also as community because I love mashed potatoes and gravy, but I don't want one granule of salt on it. You could tell me you put a granule of salt on my mashed potatoes and gravy and I'm not going to taste it. I need a couple good shakes. And it's the illustration there is to recognize that as followers of Christ, our biggest impact is not operating as a granule. It's operating our activity of God in our life with other people. Together, 
we can make a huge impact when we are poured out into the community, into society. Christianity is not a solo act. It's a solo decision when you decide to accept Christ, but when you accept Christ, you're also getting into the community because it's not a solo act. Christianity was never meant to be lived in isolation. Christianity, listen, there's a, Amer, Americans are amazing. We invent all this theology that has no biblical basis. Here's one. Well, my, my faith's a private matter. Really? Did you know that when you stand before God on judgment day, it says the books will be open and everyone will be judged according to the deeds while done in the body? How many know that just doesn't sound very private? The books will be open and everything that I've done is recorded and everybody's gonna be there. Wow, so much for some semblance of privacy. You know, I can see Americans, excuse me, Jesus, this is a private matter. Um, Jesus says, even, even in the Sermon on the Mount about lighting a light, that you don't put it under a bushel, that you take it back so that the light can benefit everybody in the room. If you, if you really look at Scripture, yeah, it's a personal one-on-one -on -one decision, but it's lived in public. It's lived outwardly. You know, God knows my heart. Really? He also sees what you're doing with your heart. He also sees, remember John the Baptist used to tell these, these Jewish people his, his sermon in Matthew. He used to say, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. They would all say, well, we've repented. And he says, fine, can we see some evidence? He was saying, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we have to understand we belong to a community. The second thing I want you to know is this. Read it out loud. Excuse me, let me get it there. Salt. Now, I'm going to use a couple different scriptures to illustrate. Salt was used to preserve food from going bad. It was a way to, you know, to cure the meat so that it could be stored. There's a variety of things and applications that it was used. And you see this in the scripture in John, or Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. Joseph is, uh, is in Egypt. He's been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's worked his way through the ranks, and now he's second in command in Egypt. And God now helps him to receive the revelation that he doesn't need to take revenge on his brothers when they show up because they don't recognize who he is then. And so God shows him not to take revenge. And this is what Joseph tells his brothers. Listen to this. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. As salt, we preserve good. We stop bad things from happening. We intervene. You know, there's a number of people in a variety of professions in this room. Your, your, your police officers, your investigators, your military, your school teachers, a variety of things. And you know what? You do what you do to stop Things that could be bad, but because you're there, they don't go bad. Or they start off bad, but you show up and you stop it from getting worse. That's what salt does. Salt says, where's the problem? I'll handle it. That's what we do. 
And gratefully, some of us, God gives us an occupation where we can draw a straight line from what we do and we can see the good what we do in community. And so understanding that we preserve the goodness of a community. Notice this verse, Isaiah 58, 12. We're, we're in a season of fasting and prayer. And I provided a prayer model based on Isaiah 58 to pray during this fasting season. And I want everybody to read this with me. Would you? Let's begin. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. Restore of streets with dwellings. I want you to look at that. God says, my people fix bad neighborhoods. Notice this has nothing to do with praying for the neighborhood. It says, I don't change the neighborhood, I change my people to go and change the neighborhood. Notice the fasting isn't for them, the fasting is for us. Show me how to solve a problem on the streets. Show me how to solve a problem in a neighborhood. Show me how to solve a problem among teenagers. Show me how to solve a problem among kids. Show me how to solve a problem in marriages. Show me how to solve problems in my community, God. One of the ways in which he takes care of the needs, he changes you and me to where what happens to people, it's a big deal to us. We just don't say somebody needs to do something. We go, maybe I'm it. Maybe because I'm the one who notices, maybe because I'm the one who's griping about it, maybe that griping is a calling. Maybe I need to stop blaming them and start owning, this bothers me. What am I going to do about this. That's why we do what we do in our community. You know, all the various expressions we have. Listen, we're not here to be a problem to our community. We're not here to be a problem to our local government. We're not trying to create friction with our state people. We're not trying to create problems with our federal government. I want, hey, listen, I want government authorities to look at the church. I want them to go, when they hear the bridge, they go, now there's people who put their work behind what they proclaim. They do stuff. They get involved. They help. They don't petition us to death. I'm telling you, I've looked at some of those petitions, and about 90% of the people on the petition don't do nothing. Okay, I always know when it's time to move on. See, the church, see, that's, I'm just saying, that's why we're set up the way we do. That's how, it's, it's, it's why we do what we do. The answers to any type of community ill is in this sanctuary. And it's you. You just got to get the heart and the legs behind the heart and the hands behind the heart and say, okay, it's time to roll up my sleeves. What can, listen, I can't solve all the ills of society, but I can start addressing something. Okay, I already know. Let's move on. Number three, read it out loud. Salt symbolized. So I'm going to use a couple scriptures here you might find interesting. So 
Back in the, those days, again, one of the ways that they would prevent infection, they would use salt as a treatment on some wounds. Obviously, not applicable to everything, but it was a way, like I said, to promote healing. And so in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, while it helps us to understand the symbolism of salt in Scripture, notice this. He said, bring me a new bowl, he said, and put, it, put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring, threw the salt into, the, into it, saying, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. You can see they understood that salt had a healing perspective. Now, there's obviously some unique dynamics going on here, but the, the gist of it is salt symbolized healing. If you go on, you even see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Everybody read this with me. And God has placed in the church apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then, stop right there, then gifts of healing. Do you see the word gifts is pluralized? And God has placed them in the church. Wow. It doesn't say gift of healing, it says gifts. And it says he's put them in the church. So how does God heal? Well, in Christianity, the most uh, efficient way that we like to pray is, God, here's my problem, heal me. It's also the most affordable option, right? You know, if God just heals me, life's good. No more doctor's appointments, no more medications, no more this, no more rehab, all this. You know, God just heal me and we go, unless you have a habit that created the problem. In which case, a healing is not going to solve the problem because you've got a habit that created the thing. So sometimes God doesn't heal you. He gets people in your life who says, if you'll get rid of this habit, your health will improve. You'll get healed. I'll wait for the amens to die down on that. See, that's, that does, that's just not, that's not appealing to us. Like, well, I don't want to work at it. I just want God to heal me. And God says, well, I want to change you, which is harder changing you. So sometimes God addresses our behavior and says, change it, you'll be healed. Sometimes God uses physicians. Sometimes God uses medication. Some, people will say it this way, I wish God would just heal me so I don't have to take this medicine. Hello, he's healing you by using the medicine. <laughs> what you're saying is you wish God would do it another way. But God does use physicians and doctors. Of course, you're saying, you know, God, keep me healthy so I don't have to go to the doctor. You know what doctors are praying? Who are Christians? Oh, God, send me the sick. God, send me people who have problems that ail them. And I will, I will use the giftings and the wisdom and the knowledge that you've given to. Can you imagine how messy prayers must show up in heaven, you know? Doctors, send me the sick. And the sick are saying, keep me away from the doctors, you know? But sometimes God uses medicine. Sometimes God uses an operation or a doctor. Sometimes God changes your behavior. And then there's this other side of this. Sometimes the hardest, the hardest wounds to heal are the ones that are on the inside that you can't see. Sometimes God uses a counselor. 
who knows how to help you. You go, I don't want to talk to no counselor. And God says, well, that's too bad. That's who I've chosen. So you're going to go see a counselor. And you're going to address some of these things that have happened in your life. You're going to address some of the things that you fundamentally believe about life because of this deep-seated wound in you. And God says, I'm going to use that counselor to heal a wound that you have in your heart that nobody can touch because it's not visible, it's invisible. But God says, I have somebody who knows how to help you with that. See, I'm just telling you that plural, gifts, God has dispensed healing all across. And you know what? Yes, and God divinely does heal. I know I always pray that. You know, God, if you're open to a more economical approach to help me with what ails me, I'm presenting one. Heal me, and I save medical dollars. You know, I mean, but I just go, but God, listen, here's how you pray for healing. Show me how you want to heal me, and I'm in. Don't tell God how to heal you. Ask God to show you how he wants to heal you. Because he does. But he may not do it the way you want. You say, I, I believe in it, and I believe that you're going to orchestrate my steps, and you're going to let me see. Yeah, I've had God heal me where nothing was required and nothing was, it was needed for intervention. But I've also had God use a doctor. I've also had God use medications. I don't care how God does it. I just want, when you, how many know when you're hurting, you just want healed? Right. So, salt symbolized healing. Number four, read it out loud. Salt is symbolized value. So one of the things you need to know, especially, even though it's not in the scripture, but it's the Gentiles would have immediately had this mindset because they understood the culture the Romans held that except for the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt. And so often soldiers were paid with salt. So the Romans were doing cryptocurrency long before we ever started doing it. Okay, we're good. But what I want you to see is this. It was a way of establishing value. The more valuable you thought a soldier was, the more salt you would give them. It was a way of establishing value. Look at it, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Do you see that the righteous are the ones that add value to the community? When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Can I speak to you very direct? Boy, that was weak. <laughs> That's like, Pastor, you better take two steps back. You don't know what's coming here, man. You need to do well. You know why? Not because you need another house. You don't need a better house. You don't need another car. You don't need a bigger boat. You don't need better vacations. You need to do better because when you do better and you do better and you do better, this community does better. We make this a great place. But a great place to live is filled with great people. 
It's not, God doesn't give you resources. All, it's not all about you. you. Some of you, you need to grow your business. Why? Because you have the ability to hire people and pay a wage that they can't get somewhere else. But you will be able to pay them. They'll be able to do better in life. Which means if they live in this community, you just exalted part of our community. We bring value. We don't say to our city, what can you do for us? We ask the city, what do you need us to do for you? We bring value. We make an impact. We make a difference. We help people who feel undervalued. We figure out a way to make them feel valued. We give people self-worth, dignity, respect, honor. Yeah, even in the face of sometimes that they don't reciprocate it back, sometimes they come at us in other things, and they can make our life hard. They say things that aren't true, but that doesn't get me off the hook from doing what's right. Well, if they're going to be mean, I don't have to help them. Really? You're just like anybody else now. I'm not even sure how the faith has changed your life. Number five, read it out loud. Salt symbolized seasoning. Salt was used as seasoning to improve the flavor of foods. How does that affect our, how does that work in our life? Again, we're going to look at some examples in the scripture. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Isn't that an interesting phrase there? Our conversation seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. God says, I'd like you to change how you talk. Well, that's just the way. It doesn't matter how you were raised. Well, that's just how I feel. You know, some of you just need to learn the word filter. For some of you, that's the word of the day, filter. Just because you think it doesn't mean it needs to be said. Just because you think it doesn't need to be said the way that you want to say it. Filter. Look at the person next to you and say, you need to filter. <laughs> yeah, okay. There was a lot of sincerity in that communication that just happened right now. I mean, people were like, yeah, really, you need to filter. But look what 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, how many, how many here, you speak? Let me see your hand. You do speak. If anyone speaks, does it say, as long as they're Christian. It says, if anyone speaks, they should, do as, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. Does what come out of my mouth when I'm under the pressure sound like God talk? You see, how we dialogue has the ability to change the conversation. How we respond, what we say, the tone, the words, has an ability to contribute to the atmosphere of that conversation. It doesn't tell us to run from the conversation. It doesn't say walk away. It just says, God, help me to speak 
to what's going on the right way. That's all. And that's a battle, right? Because most of us just want to run on instinct. And God says, I'd like to change that instinct because when you speak, you're representing me. All right. This is a real somber message today, isn't it? You're like, is there any warm fuzzies going on today? I do. We got a really good one coming up. Not this one. This is another hard one for you. <laughs> but I'm going to finish on a real good fuzzy one for you, okay? All right. Number six. Read it out loud. Salt symbolized purifying. This is really interesting because while the context of this verse is not about the salt, it references, a, it references something that tells us what salt was used for in their particular day. So Ezekiel is prophesying a difficult word to the Israelites, okay? So I'm, I just want you to know the context. And he sees the birthing of a child and, and, and as an analogy to the disobedience and to the wickedness that is going on in Israel. And this is how he uses that to speak to the Israelites. He says in Ezekiel 16:4, on that day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. Notice the word there, rubbed in salt. One of the things that they did in those particular days was when a child was born, obviously the birthing process, there's a lot of potentiality for infections and things like that given the process of birthing. They would give the baby a salt scrub to get all the birthing process, you know, and, and give them a nice smooth skin. It was a very light salt, but, and it was a disinfectant at the same time. And so it was done to protect the child. It was done to purify, to help the child to be clean. They would wash, and then they would salt scrub it. That tells us a lot about, again, it's kind of an overlap with what I said a little earlier, but it shows you what we do. We find bad things, and we just clean them up. And we didn't create the mess. We weren't the problem. Some of you need to understand your griping is your calling. You've weaponized something that's a big deal to you and you've turned it into a gripe to try to get other people to do something about it. And you've turned a calling into a gripe session. No, no. God brought that to your attention and made it a big deal because he expects you to do something about it. That'll cool your Facebook post. <laughs> because I'll respond back with, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Some of you go like, I'm unfriending you right now. I'll find you. We find things that aren't right and we'll go, I'll make it my business and I'll do something about it. I didn't birth this mess. I didn't create it. But I know what needs to happen. And I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to involve myself. I'm not just going to sit back and gripe and complain and run people down because they're not doing, I'm getting involved. I'm stepping up to the plate. Faith without works is 
Okay. All right. I figure I better give you a positive note before we get out of here. How many could use a positive note now? Really? It's been that hard, huh? Okay. <laughs> Number seven, read it out loud. Salt symbolized worship covenant. Now I'm going to sp- explain this, and I don't mind telling you the last part of this illustration is I need you to stay focused so that you catch what I'm trying to communicate here, okay? So we're going back into the Old Testament. Most people are unaware of this. Everybody's aware about the sacrifices. Everybody knows it. They're unaware of this aspect. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to your offering. Remember, the salt was an alternative currency. So God was saying, I need you to take some of your currency, your salt, I need you to sprinkle it on your sacrifice that you're bringing. That's what I expect you to do. They were expected to put a little salt on the offering. Wow. So it wasn't just the offering itself, the animal, the grain offering in this case. It was got to add a little currency to it. Wow. How many know that'll help you to slow down your sinning? Because you only offer sacrifice when you sin. How many know that can be a great deterrent? Like, whoa, this is really going to cost me. So how does that translate to us today? So you come into the New Testament, and it says in Romans chapter 12. Now remember, it says that we're the, uh, remember Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth. You know, we're the salt. Go be salt, right? Everybody got that, right? This is where it's key that you catch this. And then you come to Romans 12. And it says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Everybody with me? Which is your holy and pleasing act of worship. Hmm. I'm the salt offering now. And you are. You would make a covenant with God by using salt. And now we establish that covenant with God by saying, here I am. I'm the salt. I covenant myself. See, this is where we start explaining to people about asking Jesus into your life as your Savior and Lord. Everybody got that? You're making a salt covenant. You're it. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We are the salt of the earth. It's me. And as we wrap up the service, here's here's how I want you to have a better understanding. Some of you have put off committing your life to Christ. I don't know how long, but you, you know, everybody pretty much has the same playbook that they reference as to why. Well, you don't know how I was raised. I was raised in the church, X, Y, Z, and it was a bad experience. And here you are. Some of you say, you know, one of these days I'm going, you know, one of these days I'm really going to get serious about it. Really? What about now? Why not today? Why not this moment? One of these days I'm going to clean up my act and I'm, can I tell you, you're never going to be able to clean up your act good enough to get saved. You're going to have to get saved so you can clean up your act. Stop using 
the sin, the crud, the junk as the barrier. You're, you're telling me why you need to accept Christ because you've got all these obstacles. And how are you doing so far with it? Because if you could clean it up, wouldn't it be by now? So, like I said, we, you haven't realized by now, everybody's pulling these excuses out of the same playbook. Why not today? And for some of you, you used to serve Christ, but you will freely admit it is not what it used to be. And you know what? You need to rededicate your heart to Christ. You say, well, I'm not sure where I'm at on the spectrum of self. Listen, forget it. Just rededicate and move on. Don't play the spectrum of salvation. Are you kidding me? I think I'm over here. I might be. Why don't you just say, you know what? I need to clean that up and make a definitive statement. On January 21st, 2024, I rededicated my life to Christ. Now I know where I'm at on the spectrum. Many of you today, let me tell you, today is your day. You've had that voice in your head and your heart talking to you, and it wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit telling you, and what's the problem? Why not today? And some of you are having that voice go off right now going, can you believe he's reading the conversation we're having here? Today is your day. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service today. Would you just take a moment, would you lift your hands and just give him praise right now for being a God who's active in our life and active through us? Come on, let's give him praise right now. ask you uh, to remain standing with your heads bowed out of a sign of respect and honor to other people. If you've attended the bridge, you know that it's not about putting you on display. It's not about drawing attention to you. I would certainly never want to do anything to embarrass you. But there is a definitive time and a moment when we need to make some kind of declaration that says, I'm ready to accept Jesus. In just a second, I'm going to be willing to lead this congregation in a prayer of salvation. If I were to do that, I'd like to know who in this place will be asking Jesus in their life or who's going to be rededicating their life. And in a minute, I'll say, would you lift your hand? And when I see it, I'll just say, I see your hand. That's all I'm going to say so that you know you can put your hand down. And when I feel like I've allowed enough time for people to respond, I then will lead this congregation in a prayer of salvation. You say, Pastor, when you lead us in that prayer, I'm going to be asking Jesus into my life. I'm going to be rededicating my life to Christ. If that's you, can I just see your hand this morning? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see that. Yes, ma'am. Say, today's my day. It's time to clean it up. Today's the definitive mark. The day I can put on a calendar, an answer that I can give to anybody who asked me. January 21st, 2024. Anybody else? Come on. Everybody together, say it out loud. This prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you, and I'm taking responsibility for my life today. I don't have any more excuses.
I'm only here to take responsibility. So Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Start to reorder my life. I receive you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord that clack clack. Can you do that? Now, a couple things to those who accepted Christ today. In just a minute, we're going to dismiss. When they do, when we do, people will be turning to the person left and right, maybe some folks who came with you. They'll say, hey, you ready to go? You know, hey, good to see you. You are to hijack the conversation. And you're to say, excuse me, I need to tell you something. And they'll say, what? I want to tell you that I accepted Jesus today. Now be prepared. We're a hugging church. You might be getting, they're not mugging you, they're hugging you. Just want, you need to tell somebody what you just did. Everybody got it? Second thing is when you leave by the doors going outside, there are bags that say, follow Jesus, please take one of those with you. Pastor Lisa and I put that together to help you because it's the beginning of a relational journey. This was not an event. It was a relational journey and we want to help you. I'm going to ask some of our connection group leaders and church leadership team when they make their way to the front. And as Pastor Malik and the team begin to sing, I know there's people here, you need prayer for a variety of things in life. Health, family, friends, job, the list, I could go on. And we want to provide an opportunity for you to step out, come and they'll pray. And after I've allowed some time for people to come forward, I will dismiss everybody. But come on, as Pastor Malik and the team lead a song, make your way if you have a need today. Your cross is my freedom. Your stripes is my healing. Oh, praise in Jesus. Glory to God in heaven. Your blood is still speaking. dismiss these folks will still be here if you want to come but lift your hands this morning as I say the blessing and we'll go I bless you in the name of the Lord may he bless you in this city and in this county may the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and all your livestock be blessed may he bless the work of your hands at home at work at church in this community may he bless your coming and your going May the Lord grant the enemies that are rising up against you be defeated. When they come at you in one direction, let them flee from you in seven directions. May the Lord send a blessing on everything you put your hand to do. May he continue to establish you as his holy people. May all people see you've been called by the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant you prosperity, opening up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. May he bless the work of your hands. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Everybody gave a shout of amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.